Are you certain she's not connected to the Starfleet mainframe? I'm positive. You're looking at the last functional ship in the fleet not tied to the system. You know, it wasn't until this moment, reunited with all of you, I realized what I've missed most. The carpet. <laughs> Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between the Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton shooting member berries out of a cannon like there's no tomorrow. And we're here this week to talk about the latest episode of Star Trek Picard, Episode 9, the penultimate episode of the entire series of Star Trek Picard, Vox. And of course, we will also have a guest later in the show, Scott Hardy, co-host of the Spy Arts podcast, will swing by with his thoughts. And towards the end of the show, we'll have a review of the latest episode of The Mandalorian. A lot there. That's also the penultimate episode of its season. So, Tyler, this season of Picard. It's been Mystery Box City. That box finally opened this week. Were you happy with the results? Cam, I just want to say that was a 120-word long uh, run-on sentence that uh, you just uh, Thank you. delivered Thank to you. us in the introduction there. Um, huh. uh, so the answer is no. I thought this was stupid. Uh, it clearly came out of nowhere. Um, mm. It was not worth the wait. Um, and I'm not going to rewatch the season and think like, ah, yes, how clever that they held this back from us for eight entire episodes. And, uh, why don't we, you know, let's jump over to the real meat of the matter. What uh, people want to hear about. We have the return of the enterprise D. Um, yeah. can you know the answer to this question? You know, Tyler, are you numb inside? Eh, yeah, a little bit. Um, Cam, I really didn't feel much when I saw them get onto the bridge or when I saw the reveal of the saucer section. Um, I think the intent was to give me chills. I've experienced chills before uh, watching some really cool uh, things in cinema and television. Um, this really did not do much for me. Uh, what was your experience uh, with regards to the reveal of the Enterprise D? It left me absolutely with nothing, and I think it's for a couple reasons. I don't think it's just the fact that like I'm fan serviced out, although I am wondering if I am fan serviced out. But um, we had the whole setup of this, you know, Starfleet, you know, museum, and we saw a lot of the ships in a previous episode. So it's like, okay, they're obviously teasing this sort of thing, and it was. I think because of the way it did not feel organic to what was going on. If this was just like a ship in the museum, I'd be like, yeah, I guess, sure. This makes sense. They would run there. But the way it was like, we are in a crisis. We need a plan. Quick, what can we do? And Jordy is like, well, I've secretly been working on the Enterprise D for 20 years. I've never told any of my close friends who served on the Enterprise D about this. And it's all just been completely you know, obscured by myself, I will now in this moment take them there because it is the only ship not linked, unlike this armada, this linked armada that Starfleet is now running. That is the only ship that can do it is this Enterprise D I've kept in secret. How convenient. How perfectly convenient. So yeah, it's interesting. I think you're taking it from a different perspective than I am in terms of like it's a storytelling 
yeah. uh, about this reveal that's bothering you. For me, it was the way that it was filmed, the way that the dialogue was written, mm. uh, the musical cues. It just left me completely cold. And I'm usually the one who's complaining about the, the storytelling elements. And as you said, like how things can come up very inorganically. For me, this was just a moment that I feel like it could have worked. I, I, and I bet you and I are in the minority yeah. in terms of our reaction to this but i just i thought this just to, like felt totally flat you know and it's but is part of it is you could kind of see it a million miles away you know like didn't you kind of assume by the end of the season you know you know by, by the time that we started <laughs> uh, episode one by the time we got to it we, we'd be having a moment like this you know and, and i wonder if that i don't even think it's that that played an influence in this like i I don't know, Cam. Maybe it's just as you are. Uh, I am also like just member buried out, so fan serviced out with what's going on here. Uh, yeah, it's like it just felt so obvious to me. And when you have um, everyone under twenty five or whatever being taken over by Borg, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to all that stuff. But it, boy, was that giving me flashbacks to the mercenaries at the end of season two, Picard. But um, you know, you have basically all the young people are now completely useless. And it's like, the old ways are the best. And it's like, we have the TNG crew, but wait, wait. We've still got Shaw. We've still got Raffi. We've still got Seven. What about, oh, no, no. We're going to leave them behind. So now we just have the TNG crew. We have to get them to the only ship capable of stopping this threat. And of course, it's the old ship. It's the old ways. This is like Star Trek OK Boomer at a certain point. I'm like, oh, it just feels like... They're really stretching. Like, fan service is the sort of thing that, like, I, I don't even blame... It's not a Star Trek thing. It is just a current pop culture thing where it is so easy to do and so constant in every single franchise that there's nothing special about it. So it's all about how you deliver it and what you do that's perhaps unexpected. There's some fan service in this episode of The Mandalorian we'll talk about later, at, you know, towards the end of the show that, like, kind of worked for me because they were taking... You know, in that case, it was a character introduced earlier, but changing the function of what that character was within the show, and I go, okay, they have an interesting, different tact on this. This didn't. It's just like, you love the Enterprise? Well, here you go. We're back on the Enterprise. Um, maybe this Enterprise D is very much like the Discovery in which it has an AI uh, system in it, and uh, much like the Discovery's AI system, it constantly needs a pep talk. <laughs> well, can the Enterprise D run with like a skeleton crew like that? Cam, it doesn't matter though. Like, well, that's true. That, that's that's a problem. I liked. <laughs> does it even use skeleton crew? Because at the very end, they were departing uh, space talk. Picard says engage, and you can see everybody at their consoles. And we had Crusher standing over there with a tricorder, and I'm like, yeah. who is she scanning right now? <laughs> <laughs> She's like scanning Deanna. She's like, are you on this season? <laughs> <laughs> She's trying to scan for Raffi, who kind of has disappeared in the last half of the season as well. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm sure our listeners are going to hate us for our take on this, but I don't care. Like th this, I, I, I found this um, cynical. I found this inorganic. And as much as I liked, um, you know, kind of, kind of seeing that old familiar bridge again, like I, I liked seeing you know carpets on a bridge you know that mm. that remark was, was fine 
it just it didn't hit me emotionally you know i i didn't have the same reaction data did when no. he was looking upon the uh ship um i wonder what uh what deanna's reaction was when um uh she's like oh yeah that ship i crashed <laughs> oopsies <laughs> although i guess wharf can we talk about the wharf thing or, or, yeah. or like yeah, maybe you can go back to d in just a second but like what what i can figure out I, i'm not somebody who's li- looking into the apocrypha you know um, yeah. memory beta sort of stuff i'm not really following along with a comic books or the non-canon uh books that are out there but what we can gather from what was said is um that Worf was in command of the enterprise e and uh, he was obliterated uh not in his control as he proclaimed but i was kind of just doing some like fan math in my head so i guess what happened after nemesis you know uh data is no longer going to be first officer so i think just naturally that role went over to Worf. And from there, when uh, Picard became Admiral, Worf became Captain of the Enterprise E. Does, does that track for you? That makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. I would, <laughs> I would love to see a prequel series of Worf as Captain before he learned how to chill out as he's done in the season. <laughs> I will say Worf supplied the only moment of joy I really got out of that sequence. And I know, as you said, people out there, I'm sure, were just in ecstasy to see the Enterprise D recreated. But like to me, it was the little bit where Worf said like he preferred the weapon system on, on the E. I was like, that's actually a pretty funny joke in this moment of kind of like pumped up nostalgia. Yeah, but what took me out of the moment is like Troy excoriating him for saying mm. that. And also the Troy line where she's like, I've never been so happy to see so many wrinkles. I'm like, Troy would never say anything like that. That's something Marina Sirtis would say. And the other line that just made me groan as if, oh, th- this is like a dad joke on steroids was when um, Jordy said to Data, like, can't you be more positive? And then Brent Spiner in the hammiest voice possible is like, I hope we die quickly. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, I was like, oh, God, like, this is terrible. This is this is reminding me of like the one liners are giving Data and in, like insurrection, you know? And, yeah, when uh, you had the emotion chip, yeah. Or oh, in insurrection. I was thinking of the emotion chip stuff in Generations, which is also pretty cringy. Yeah, and I, 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 I wonder if this is partially why I, I did not like the Enterprise D reveal. Everything mm. leading up to this moment throughout this episode, like the first thirty minutes of this episode, I really did not like. I did not think it was yeah. very good writing. I thought it was pretty predictable. I hate the idea that uh, Starfleet, which I think we can blame the changelings for this idea, but like, yes, let's connect every single <laughs> ship in our fleet. Nothing can go wrong with that. I'm like, I guess no one's watched Battlestar Galactica, you know, and also, I is Shelby a changeling? I don't know, because the last we saw of Shelby after a 35-year wait was her getting blown away by <laughs> Borg drones. One, two, pow, pow, right in the torso, she's dead. I'm like, Really? And just, I just, ah. and even though, like, so Jack takes control of those security guards, and like when Doctor Crusher comes running up to him, he's got the security guards protecting him. I mean, if I was Doctor Crusher, I would call that bluff. You know, mm. will my son actually like, uh, kill me with security guards that he's controlling? No. And I, I just thought the action beats were stinky. How many times have we seen people on the Titan corridors shooting at each other all season long? I am bored out of my mind. This is not doing anything for me at this point. I just, Cam, I, just, I thought this was a pretty bad episode leading up to this reveal. I thought the previous two episodes were pretty lame as well. 
a lot of the same old, same old, like, let's stretch out this mystery for as long as we can. Then we lead up to the Enterprise D stuff. And maybe I was in a sour mood, but I honestly, like, or maybe I am just being totally clinical. And as somebody who, who loves television and cinema, I just don't think this was very well done in both terms of storytelling and, and as well as just aesthetics and just like these really like cloying kinds of musical cues that just made me roll my eyes. I'm just, I'm sure all our listeners are gone by now, but I just, uh, this episode really, really irked me. Well, it's like the entire concept of building up the Borg as your adversary, they didn't do any of that. Once again, we got the classic Q kind of payoff where it's like, oh, and by the way, all this was done for this reason. It's like there was no build up to the Borg. They basically spent this entire episode. There was a sequence where the characters, uh, it was, um, I think, maybe Jordy, Picard, and Crusher, like, talking through how all this happened and all the, like, genetic coding on the transporter and all this. And I'm just like, oh, my God, the show <laughs> did not build to anything. It just basically wasted, the, you know, the audience's time for eight episodes building this whole new, like, changeling mythology cut it off last episode and then was like okay well it's the borg uh how do we explain this okay let's just like toss out as much dialogue as humanly possible to explain this away in techno babble here we go the borg are big villains and oh my god they're laying waste to um you know frontier day while um while shelby apparently is introducing a uh, video game in a cutscene because that's what it looked like yeah. Um, I, I will say this, Cam. Um, the pinpoint precision in what you guessed in like episode two or three hmm. that um, Jack's DNA had been modified by the Borg, um, I have to hand it to you. You were right on the ball. And a, and a cynical person, one who's known you for 13 years, <laughs> would be like, huh, I wonder how this guy who doesn't ever guess things correctly got this <laughs> so so right on the ball to this very minuscule detail. I'm just like, huh, maybe this this friend of yours might be rubbing his chin and just wondering if, uh, I don't know, I don't know just, just a cynical person would just be like, hmm, interesting how uh, he was so correct about this little detail that came out of absolutely nowhere. Well, okay, I can tell you how I arrived at that, and it was not based on, here is Cam's dream fan fiction Star Trek TV show. <laughs> it was really based on, you used the word, cynicism. And I think you almost forget all this stuff. You owe me an apology for back in the day. We used to have the funny little <laughs> Cam, Cam fiction segments. <laughs> I owe you uh, apologies ad infinitum. So like that, that one could just get in line. So yeah, but let's hear about the Cam fiction stuff. So back in the day, it was kind of a running joke when we would talk about episodes or characters that I would read out like a little bit from memory beta about a, you know, novel that paid that character off and you would roll your eyes and groan. I, I didn't find it to be a funny joke, by the way. You kept doing it because you knew that it legit annoyed me. <laughs> and not in a funny way, oh, doesn't Tyler find it funny now? No, it, it, it legit annoyed me. <laughs> Because I'm like, who cares? None of this is real. I could write on a napkin and I could make it real just as well as you are right now, Cameron. Sure. And all the stuff I was reading out, that is where Star Trek was going. Like, the types of dot, you know, dots that were being connected in those cam fiction segments is what we have going on in current Star Trek Picard. It's just like, the reason I, that I was able to say, like, okay, well, I think it's going to be tied to the Borg. And I was wrong about Locutus, but instead it was Locutus Jr., it seems. Vox of Borg. <laughs> yeah. Was because I just literally thought, what is the most cynical fan fiction approach they would take with this show, given its history? And it was like the Borg and Locutus. 
that just seemed to me like that's where they would go. And I didn't, that's why when you asked me, like, how have they basically planted the seeds for this? And I couldn't answer you. I didn't have an answer. It was just like, based on what this show has traditionally done, that is like kind of the cheap avenue they would take. Um, I don't like it because it literally came out of nowhere. And, um, you know, I, I've been asking about like what made you confident like about the mm. Locutus thing. And, and you'd said, well, you know, these writers, they do wacky things. And Shaw gave a speech about Wolf 359. In my head, I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's really enough to say that the show's been telegraphing like Return of Locutus. And, and I mean, <sighs> This just feels like it, but at least you're trying to connect some dots there. But the thing is, this just comes out of nowhere. You know, I think the fear among the writers is like, well, we can't give any like significant or substantial sort of hints because the Reddit detectives will catch on to it within like an episode mm. and boom. And I'm just like, I don't know, that, that that's that's narrative cowardice right there. Why not tell us what's going on from the very beginning? And I, I understand why it's because you don't want your main characters to be behind the eight ball the entire time if we know what jack's mystery is and maybe even jack knows to a certain degree what it is but then you have the rest of the crew not knowing here's how you solve that problem you, you reveal to the rest of the crew what's going on very quickly within an episode yeah. or two you don't drag out a mystery and the thing is i don't know very many shows that successfully drag out mysteries over the course of one entire season i just i, I can't think of any that do that really well um i i, I mean i like a show like true detective um uh first and third seasons um yeah there's a mystery but those seasons are only like six episodes long you know yeah. and i'm getting so much more out of the character stuff and it's not like watch true detective and you're sitting with these characters you, you it's so many character moments where they're just talking to each other in a car they land in disparate places over the course of their lives and you wonder why and how everything comes together whereas here this just feels like plot 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 oh here's a nice moment where jordy and data talk again plot 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 it just feels like this ramrod jabbing into your eyeballs all the time i do want to say this i, I know you have more to say but um mm. i gotta give it to lavar burton like yeah. uh he is just killing it this season and i remember being a kid thinking jordy laforge was the coolest guy in the world that i remember watching next generation as an adult and realizing what a jerk he is i yeah. am back on the jordy train lavar his performance is among my favorite among the returning cast members right now i i i don't know it was great even though he's doing the dumb dad thing like i gotta go save my kids at least <laughs> you got data there saying like well what's your plan like don't be stupid so i, I shout out to lavar burton but cam um i spilled out uh, a good 14 minutes of my uh, diatribe there i'm sure there's something that you, you wanted to share well it's like about that mystery box thing you know it's like the idea of the Borg teaming up with the changelings is actually not a bad idea at all. I don't have an issue with that connection. I think, you know, the Borg stuff is so tired because we've exhausted them. And the fact we keep going back to them again and again is getting old. But um, the idea of like these two species that both want unity, finding some sort of commonality and working against the Federation, there's a good story there. And I would be happy to watch it and to have scenes, you know, I think of the Dominion War and think of like, Having the various species involved, you know, the Cardassians, the Breen, you get scenes, Wayun, of them strategizing. You see the relationships, you see how the female changeling ties into this and the conversations and kind of the jockeying for power within that. We were robbed of all of that sort of interesting material because they had to hide everything. And 
why, oh why, was, I'm going to assume, the female changeling, or sorry, not the female changeling, sorry, the Borg Queen, talking to uh, Vatic as like a scary face floating in the air. <laughs> I mean, we can assume that's who that, that uh, skull face was, right? That's what I can only assume at this point. I mean, I made a note that uh, the introduction of the Borg Queen reminded me a lot of Palpatine in Rise of Skywalker, where it's like hanging from, you know, the head basically suspended from the head in the ceiling. Uh, and then I saw that joke everywhere online and I felt way less creative. Mm. But um, yeah, it's like, it's only doing this. So it's a mystery to the audience. And we've ridiculed for a long time Future Guy on Enterprise and how they just had basically, you know, Darth Sidious um, set up in season one Enterprise and it just kind of went nowhere. They kind of did the same thing here and it's, I guess, going to pay off. But we didn't really get a reveal of the face. I guess just next episode, there she's just going to say like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was the face talking to the, to the changelings. Never mind that. It'd be amazing if they don't ever pay it off, though. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> and because you know, it was weird to me on a couple notes. This episode was like 45 minutes long. And, you know, you remove credits and whatever else. It's like less than that. This is a two-part finale. Don't they want to like build up kind of the epic conclusion of the TNG crew because the next episode and this has been the case for the first two seasons of Picard those final episodes are jam-packed to the gills and you were mentioning how you know you get little character beats in this episode but it's plot 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 that is going to be the next episode like you are going to have to wedge in so much plot stuff you know there's going to be a couple fan service moments coming as well like is this like a graceful farewell to this crew or is this just going to be like a you know 40 minute explosion followed by three minutes of goodbyes the only way it might work is if you know you reach the climax by the halfway point and the the remaining 30 minutes it's just kind of <laughs> it almost feels like the uh the uh return of the king ending mm. where it's just kind of like you you, you got these solid moments saying goodbye or, or, or wrapping up these threads for like a good solid like 30 minutes or something like i just i don't care about watching like like lame like starship fights i just like that doesn't like i see them done so much better on like the star wars television series anyways like there's nothing they yeah. can do here that would blow my mind whereas i remember watching deep space nine i tell you what camp i can go back and watch those deep space nine space battles now i'm far more impressed than anything um they've created since the uh the kurtzman era you know it just mm. it just feels like um if all you eat all day is ice cream do you really want to eat ice cream like um for for desserts like a year from now like no it's just it's it's too much and like so I don't know. I, I I'm guessing there might be a lot of uh, pew 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 throughout next episode. A lot of stuff that's going to make me roll my eyes. It's Jack trying to overcome his influence under the Borg Queen, and maybe he has to give a sacrifice, which kind of seems mean towards like Beverly, who is like, I gave Wesley space, and then <laughs> no, no, I lost him to space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I'm just like I, I just. I can almost predict beat by beat, or not predict, but I've, I think that when I watch next week's episode, as every beat unfolds, nothing will actually take me by surprise. Nothing will subvert my expectations. And that's what kind of irks me. I just, I, I'm still waiting for the Andor version of modern Star Trek in which I've kind of been like so-so on most of like Star Wars. And I've never been a Star Wars guy, but mm -hmm. like Andor really impressed me in, in which like it, it was a show that kept subverting my expectations. And it, 
was a show that actually had stuff to say about society. And I'm not talking about just like, isn't capitalism weird? But like, like real, like hit you to the core thought, thoughtful things. And I just, what is Picard saying? Like I'm Picard by like the TV series right now. It's just like, think about family. And <laughs> I don't know. What, what are some other big themes going on? Okay. Well, there's a theme in this episode that could have actually inspired a really powerful story, which is this reveal that Picard was carrying this, you know, Borg DNA that he passed to Jack unknowingly and how Beverly and him are reacting to this. Like that is a real thing that can happen in life of parents who have an unfortunate element of their genetics that can pass on and realize that it's coming to fruition in their children. And, you know, the horror or tragedy that can come with that. I think of the movie Hereditary dealt with that very strongly. There is a story that could have been dealt with in this show about what Jack is dealing with and how Picard and Beverly just have to grapple with this. But it's just like kind of tossed off. You get it one scene between the two of them and then it's on to the action stuff. And it's like, that's not really what Star Trek is best at. It's best at grappling the meanings of these events or stories or allegories. And nope, not Star Trek Picard. I just think about an episode like from the original series, The Cloudminders, you know, and it's talking about like, you know, different statuses within society. And it's very on the nose. I'm, I'm okay with Star Trek being on the nose, you know. Whereas I just, like, I think what they want us to take away from the season is, like, there are broader thematic things going on throughout the season, whether it's about family and and family and, and children and, and, and parents and, and family camp. Um, but, like, I don't know. Also, old people rule. Old people rule. Old people damn rule. Do not disrespect your elders. That's what Star Trek's right. teach you. That's, right. That's why there's so many episodes, uh, you know, like the deadly years and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so They're I all just, that can save you. <laughs> it's kind of like, Cam, like, like, this is why I'm enjoying, like, stuff like uh, Strange New Worlds or Prodigy, in which they can tackle those things on a more episodic basis, and then they can tackle something else entirely the next week, um, look at Prodigy. They have an ongoing serialized uh, arc going on, but you can mm -hmm. like delineate every episode and they're doing something different. They're on a different planet in this episode. They're exploring a new ship in this episode. And, and they, it, it still doesn't take away from the serialized storytelling nature of it all. Whereas this is just like... I don't know. Like, like I, I went into Picard with such an open mind, uh, going back to season one, but in this season especially, yeah. and those first four episodes, I'm like, okay, okay, I, I, I'm with you here. And then I just they, they've kind of they've kind of burnt me out in the subsequent five that have followed. I really hope that there's a big turnaround uh, for the finale, but just this creative team hasn't given me. Look, I, they've done some things that I've liked, like, and, but it's mostly like a lot of moments that I've enjoyed mm -hmm. throughout this season. A lot of moments, you know, like the Rose stuff, uh, rehabilitating uh, Seven's character, giving us all that Shaw stuff, you know, although he did meet an end that you could, I don't know, compare with Damar and like how, um, yeah. you know, shrug of a shoulders out sort of was there. But um, something else I called actually that he would say seven of nine. <laughs> yeah, cool. I said the final episode, yeah. but I think. <laughs> final words kind of counts as well you're a real karnak i um, really was <laughs> so i don't know like so I, ultimately what i'm getting at though is if it's 
we get a, that Star Trek Legacy series that showrunner Terry Metalis wants to do. It's essentially kind of following the, uh, the the crew of the Titan or whatever. We can assume that he's talking about Seven of Nine and Raffi and, I don't know, maybe maybe a Captain Worf in command, which, like, I think that would be a hoot. I, I would love mm-hmm. to see Seven and Worf. Um, I'm sorry, but Raffi's, that's a character that still needs a lot of work like a lot of work and they need to figure out something to do with her that's far more interesting than what we're getting uh seeing just her repeat the same beats again and again and again with terrible dialogue but i think they can make that series work but if they take more of that strange new worlds model and they're doing different things every week you know it's the serialized storytelling has to do more with um character dynamics you know uh how people's relationships are functioning you know there could be an ongoing storyline involving i don't know uh, uh what was that uh, game that uh seven and uh tuvok was playing like Kotet oh, or something like that you know yeah I, like, I can't remember. um yeah like like, like I, I see potential and that's why this is just so frustrating when i get to an episode like this where like um you know, two thirds of the way, I thought it was bad CW writers figuring out this like boring storyline. And then the last third, it was member berries galore and it just didn't work for me. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fascinating that like Metallus has talked so much about that Star Trek legacy. And before this show started airing, he's talking up how, you know, this is like setting up the next, next generation. Tyler. Of these, like, younger new characters, which ones really, like, excite you about seeing an ongoing series built around? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the youngest being Jerry Ryan? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I'm just like, like that's I, a, I mean, that's an existing character. Yeah, I know. And so, like, I, I, I guess, um, uh, I, I think Ed Spilliers, like, has a lot of charisma. Um, do yeah. I want to see him? I mean, who knows? what his fate ultimately will be by the end of the season. It just seems too cruel to do that to Jean-Luc and, and Beverly that he's dead by the end of it. Um, so does he join as a 40-year-old ensign in episode <laughs> one of uh, of uh, Star Trek Legacy? Him? Um, I, look, I, I think uh, Crash has some potential, yeah, but it's not like she's like blowing me away. And, and honestly, like Jack Crusher isn't blowing me away. I, I think they've been no. doing serviceable jobs do you know out of all the new characters do you know who actually like gripped me um shaw and yeah. um I, I i think we could kind of figure going into this season he, he probably he's probably gonna die like this death did not shock me at all if you question uh you know picard things aren't gonna go your way yeah i mean i thought it was a real bummer because i would totally be into a show built around him but well it feels like the thing is, like, the Jack Crusher character is all mystery box. Like, we haven't spent time with him establishing dynamics with a lot of the other characters. So, I, there's nothing exciting to me about a new show unless it's basically, like, wipe the slate clean and build him up as a new character and let us go on those experiences with him. And Crash LaForge, like, nothing against the actress whatsoever. The show is not about her. And she is not given material that is anywhere on the level that you know, say the newer members of Strange New Worlds are. I hope he touches my hands. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like that sort of garbage. You you look at like what Christina Chong got to do on Strange yeah. New Worlds. That's a new character. And look how well we knew that character after like ten episodes. And then yeah. you know, unfortunately Crash LaForge is on a show with the entire TNG cast, plus seven of nine, plus scene stealers like um 
you know, Ed Spilliers and then also Shaw. There's just no screen time to really develop new cast members you'd be excited to follow. And they have, you know, teased that they said, you know, the finale, make sure to watch a post credit scene. I can only assume that's setting up some show or movie in the future, but it would not surprise me if it's just setting up like a Jerry Ryan thing. <laughs> no, it's it'll be a teaser for Star Trek Section 31, what we've all been waiting for, oh. right? Oh, like at the very end, everyone's gathered together, all cheering, and suddenly the Guardian of Forever opens up and Michelle Yeoh walks out. Okay, Cam, um, I'm just going to turn the TV off as soon as that happens. <laughs> Is that my new prediction that I have to stick with oh, now? Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, okay, maybe maybe we can get into more of the minutiae of this, you know. Um, how did you feel about seeing Admiral Shelby uh, finally having command of the Enterprise? Um. Well, I mean, it's we wanted to see Shelby. We've talked for years about Shelby. This was not how I wanted to see Shelby really yeah. dealt with. Yeah. Was This was the dinkiest way to establish what Frontier Day is, where it's like, we have this shot of ships, and I, I think of like, you know, the way this is introduced versus, say, like the Yorktown in um, Star Trek Beyond, and like how majestic that was, just showing off that city of the future. And then you go here, and it's just like, well, this looks kind of, kind of cheesy and then we cut to you know elizabeth denny sitting on a bridge entirely alone with no one around her <laughs> and it's like oh boy that's really not the way to convey sort of the the scale and the immensity and just sort of the participation of uh frontier day yeah i didn't look i mean just looking at how cold and sterile that bridge is of the enterprise f yeah versus it's just kind of that uh comfort factor you get with the d which is often compared with a hotel lobby it's just mm. kind of absent and so it just that kind of fell a little flat and i i like to me it's great seeing shelby but then she's i, I originally <laughs> thought she was just being meant set up to be revealed as a changeling because jordy was like oh and i think it was Riker that was like oh the irony of shelby endorsing something so close to the borg <laughs> yeah. like yeah is that irony or whatever and then the last time we see her, she's getting shot in this chest. I'm just like, okay, maybe that's just like a fake out or I don't know. But I mean, it didn't really do anything for me. And it made me mad, you know, like that that's what we've been waiting for for 35 years. So um, I don't know. I, I, I guess the design of the F, um, um, again, it doesn't have that same feeling I get when I look at the 1701 or no. the 1701D or even the, the, the Excelsior model that uh, the, the B has, you know? And it's just kind of like, I, I think it's kind of cool that um, instead of like a neck that uh, is uh, fully like uh, like a full neck, there's, did you notice that there's kind of like, how do I describe it? Like kind of two, like almost like uh, pylons connecting the saucer section to the lower right. section you know that, right, that was yeah. interesting you know yeah um i don't know i just it, like I, I feel it like you could tell that they wanted the the unveiling of the enterprise f to be a big deal and it just again it didn't really hit me where i think they were hoping i think the problem with that always is that you can introduce it in a cg shot like this and you go oh cool that's the enterprise f but if you were watching a TV show set on the Enterprise F and you really week to week were kind of taking the ambience of that ship and getting to know, you know, all the interiors, you just have more of a sense of kind of the majesty of it. Showing me a quick CG ship, you know, it's like, okay, like I just don't get anything emotionally. It's not even targeted at this specific episode, 
the same thing could happen in a different episode where say like the new Voyager, you know, was, well, we saw that on discovery and it really didn't <laughs> stick with me emotionally either. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, it, like, well, I, I mean the CG thing I can like, if you do it well, yeah, yeah, it'll work. Uh, you know, I, I point to the NX-01, the unveiling there. And that was CG from 20 years ago. And mm-hmm. how is it that CG from 20 years ago looks about the same as it does now? I I mean, there's all these stories about effects houses being stretched very thin. So maybe that's part of it. But it is true. I mean, CG has uh, not evolved the way you would hope. You know, you see something like an Avatar way of water and you go, oh, CG has evolved a lot. But then when you watch your standard CG action TV show or movie, you're like, no, looks about the same as 2001, more or less. You look at Mandalorian and the CG there looks uh, phenomenal. You know that they have the ILM like A team, like uh, like really like working overtime on that. And you can tell that they have the uh, Clucky McDuckworth's B team uh, sometimes on... Uh, on these Star Trek shows, you know, it's just like, okay, like, um, you know, I like, I don't know, I, I do at least appreciate Seth MacFarlane, like, wanting to use models whenever he could on the Orville, and I'm like, yeah, like, I wish more folks would, like, I don't know, just, just do, I want, I want to be, like, excited, I want to be blown away, whenever I saw a phaser drawn and, like, a phaser fired on the next generation, like, say, in the corridors or through the ship, you knew that was a big moment because it didn't happen all the time. It didn't have a, happen every episode. That's not what characters typically resorted to, you know, the brute force stuff. If it came down to yeah. phaser, you knew something big was going on. But here, if it's like, if, if there's phaser fire every freaking episode, I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, like who cares? And if you're brute forcing your way through every single problem, I'm like, okay, like, whatever. Like, what does this really mean to me? I think part of the problem is it's not just like it's serialized it's this 10-hour movie approach which is that when you look at a number of the star trek movies they are mostly two hours and action driven and they're just like well we got to have action consistently because this is a movie people are watching a movie right now and I, i really was like questioning with myself at the end of this episode in particular i was just like now they wanted to make something better than nemesis right Right? Like, that was the plan? Yeah. Because I don't yeah. know that they've pulled it off. Um, I think this is better than Nemesis in that, like, Nemesis just left such a sour taste in my mouth. Whereas, um, there have been way Okay, do you know There have been so many more moments throughout these first nine episodes Agreed. that have worked for me. We yeah. didn't really get any of those moments at so- uh, whatsoever in Nemesis. I guess for me, it's like Nemesis at least had a theme that it was tackling and carrying it from kind of beginning to end in a linear, non-confusing way. Whereas when I look at this, it's kind of like a jumble. And so it's kind of like a trade-off. I mean, I would pick this just because of the character moments, but it this is not the, like, to, at least in my eyes, and look, look at the IMDb scores. People are raving in the streets about this season, but like... Well, IMDb users are. Yeah, yeah, IMDb users specifically. But like, this is not the uh, home run, everyone, you know, let's take the celebratory, you know, run around the field at the end of the game that it should be. Yeah. Like, uh, when it's done, I'll be like, well, I don't know what to make of the Picard series at all. Like, going forward, I have no idea how to regard this as even a thing in the future. I, I think... Its legacy will be as a real mess. Um, 
it will be an example of like what can happen during a pandemic when you're mm. trying to make a, uh, a revered uh, reboot series uh, or revival series. You know, I, I think this... Cam, I just remember that moment Patrick Stewart walked out on stage when we were in Las Vegas <laughs> at the Star Trek convention there. Yeah. And just the the visceral energy that everyone could feel in that room and the excitement that Patrick Stewart had, the passion with which he spoke. And this is where we end up eventually. And I'm just like, oof, like... This is, this is a real big come down, and it may, maybe uh, faults on me for having high expectations. But the fact of the matter was, is you know, Star Trek: The Next Generation told a really compelling story surrounded by some really interesting characters, and and they they were able to succeed. It's hard to hit lightning in a bottle more than once, but Star Trek has a long history of um, casting very well and creating some very interesting stories that everyone's passionate about. You know, and then maybe there will be like Discovery has a has a uh, ardent though relatively small in the scheme of things uh, fan base. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think people are very excited about Strange New Worlds and uh, all that. I just is there a real strong Picard fan base out there? Like, I, like who are these people? I don't. I don't get the sense there's a strong Picard fan base, but I, I think a lot of people have really loved this season who are going to be primarily TNG fans. Yeah. Like, there, there yeah. are people that, that would say, like, I like Picard. You know, I like Star Trek Picard. But yeah. you, it's not people that, like, would have... I, I know there's people that, like, have discovered Star Trek through Discovery and have come to be gripped by the characters that are there. And it, it's the, the trauma porn is not necessarily something that I've enjoyed, but I know uh, it speaks to a lot of people out there. Mm. Whereas, I don't know, like, who's, like, finding Star Trek by watching episode one of Star Trek Picard and becoming gripped <laughs> with the, the wonderful characters that are, you know, Narek and like uh rizzo uh, or, or yeah or like uh, i want to keep saying like endor but uh, uh elnor you know it's elnor, it's yeah. like you know and so i i just i don't think there will ever be like this star trek hardcore star trek picard hardcore fan base that you can find in the other ones but can't maybe in like five six years that'll change but yeah. i just i think the big problem is is like this show's just been so all over the place it, it, it this show's just a mess like a complete mess. And, you know, when I think about Star Trek, it's not the watching of Star Trek, it's the rewatching and yeah. how these shows are just stories you want to go back to. I was just like at work the other day, like two days ago, and I was thinking about how I really wanted to rewatch a lot of Voyager because some of those stories were just kind of popping to my head. You know, I was working on by myself and was just thinking about some of the episodes that I'd really enjoyed. I can't see myself being in a place five years from now or four years or whatever, where I'm like, I just, I really want to sit and rewatch Picard. I just don't see that happening with myself. I think the closest I can come in this new era of, you know, Kurtzman Trek is perhaps seasons one and two of Discovery. And uh, with regards to live action stuff and, and um, you know, of course, Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Uh, Picard as a whole I mean, uh, oh, look, <laughs> I will rewatch season three. I cannot sure. picture myself rewatching seasons one and two again. I, I've probably watched all those episodes. Uh, in the case of season one, I've watched all those episodes three times. And in the case yeah. of season two, twice. 
yeah. I can picture myself rewatching season three of Picard uh, again. Yes, I can. But do I want to sit down and do a full out rewatch of Picard one of these days? Like, no. I just I and I can't picture myself wanting to do that in five years, you know? And that's just I, I, I never want to be one of those fans who's like, you know, Kurtzman Star Trek's not real Star Trek. And guess what? I'm not. I'm enjoying Strange New Worlds. I'm enjoying Lower Decks and Star Trek Prodigy. It's just I think what there's just been so many missteps with two out of these series that it just kind of it just really irks me and makes me question the sanity of some of the folks on the writing staff, you know. Yeah, and I just think like it's notable that the first two were Discovery and Picard, and I just feel like the way those shows were set up, the templates that they had apparently had to follow really closely, weirdly yeah. closely, um, they didn't work, and they've just stuck to them. And I think it's very fortunate both of them are going off the air, and we can just kind of open up the playing field a little more because. I don't know what the next... Well, I guess Starfleet Academy is going to be the next... Se- oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Well, you know what? Maybe it's great. Maybe it is standalone adventures that are kind of soapy and I have fun with. And it won't be like this kind of thing. Like, I can't... I don't know that I can, on a podcast, continue to do series built around mystery boxes know, for like nine episodes. It's yeah. really dull. I, I, and that's what's going to kill me. If Starfleet Academy every season is built around a mystery, yeah. I'm like, I, please give me 90210 in space. I'm not joking. Give me Dawson's Creek in space. Like, I, I want it as hammy, as soapy as possible. I want it to be cheesy fun to watch. Like, that mm-hmm. would be like, it'd just be something completely different. And I think we would have a hell of a time podcasting about it. It'd be a lot of fun to podcast about that. But if it's just like, this is a very serious show. Yeah, these uh, love stories are very serious. This is a love for all the ages. Um, this is learning to respect other species. You know, um, this is a very serious mystery that has key implications about what it means to be human. I'm just like, oh my god, who wants to watch this garbage? You know, and you cannot build a mystery and talk about like how serious this is, the ramifications that could come. Characters are tormented by it, and then you have the character at the heart of it, saying, so many blossoms, thousands of flowers. <laughs> you can't. Sorry. No, no. Um, so, oh, I, I should have mentioned, as we're talking about rewatches, you and I have been meaning to tell listeners for a long time. Um, okay, yes. Strange New Worlds, it's out on physical media, but only on Blu-ray, whereas you and I, we, we bought like 4K copies, but we're still waiting for them to arrive. They're not going to be available until May, yeah. so this will be my first time watching a Star Trek series on a 4K disc. I've, I've watched uh, Star Trek movies uh, on uh, 4K. Uh, with streaming, yes, and I think the only one I've watched on disc in 4K is Star Trek Beyond. I own that one. But so I'm just really pumped to see what Strange New Worlds looks like in uh, 4K, and we'll be giving our thoughts on that as well. In uh, I guess a month from now, that's when it's tentatively uh, arriving. Amazon is not giving me a delivery date just yet. Yeah, no, same here. Uh, I've watched. I'm trying to think. I've watched the first three movies on 4K disc of the original films. I think that's it, though. Yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to actually watching this show and seeing just how it translates. Um, a couple other things like I, I just wanted to uh, throw out your way. A little bit minutia. Maybe we can tackle a little bit of this with uh, one uh, Mr. Hardy when he joins us in just a second here. But um, the, uh, uh, <laughs> the use of Magil Barrett's uh, voice on the bridge, I did like that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was looking at the end credits because I totally recognized uh, the Borg Queen's voice as Alice Krieger. And then I noticed in the special guest star, instead of saying and special guest star Brent Spiner, suddenly special guest star Brent Spiner was credited before all the other special guest stars, all <laughs> of whom were then uh, credited in alphabetical order. And so then it said, and special guest star Alice Krieger. So I thought um, that was worth noting. And Cam, um, the fact that it, like there, there's no way Sila <laughs> is going to be p- appearing in no. the finale. And I think we talked about it the other week. Like It would actually kind of annoy us if she did because it'd be coming out of nowhere. Just like this yeah. whole Borg stuff is just coming out of nowhere. I, like, I hate to say that I don't want to see Sela, but I don't want to see her in the next episode. If they do a Star Trek Legacy series, mm-hmm. please bring back Denise Crosby. It's just it, it just seems like low-hanging fruit to, like, do something with Sela. And I think they really missed an opportunity to bring her back for this season. I don't know why they, like, couldn't find something interesting, you know? Even, like, kind of a Rolaren-esque return for just one episode, you know, to, you know, tie up some loose threads. Like, that would have been interesting to me. Yeah, um, I mean, never rule it out. I think I think next episode we're going to get hit with a number of cameos. I don't want to see Sela next episode. Mm-hmm. I would far prefer a story built around her in a streaming movie or TV show. I think that would be far more satisfying. Um, who do you... Th- like? Next episode, we're going to get more. Janeway, right? Janeway's uh, going to show up. I would hope. I would hope. Um, yeah. I hope that they reveal the fate of Tupac. And that he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, are there like... Deep Space Nine characters that would make like organic sense. Like I don't think it'll be Kira or Cork. We both no. We've got them both in lower decks. So who does that leave us with? Like Ezri and Bashir. Like I just does that feel organic to you? No, that would be so weird. Um, the only one that makes sense is um, O'Brien. I yeah. think that's the only one with some possibility. But he's a TNG character originally, though. So he it's is. Like, yeah. I don't care. If it all comes back to uh, Garrick, he's the one behind this big conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I do think, you know, if, you know, the fates hadn't uh, gotten in the way, we would have seen Odo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is. like, And I, I wonder, like, I'm trying to do the math with regards to way when Rene Bergeron passed away and when they would have been writing this. Mm. And I just wonder if it was possible that maybe Odo the character was somehow involved and they had to rewrite uh, parts of season three. I know that they had to, or from what I understand, I don't know this for a fact, but from what I understand, they had to rewrite a lot of season two on the fly uh, because of COVID. And right. so I wonder how much they, just with the death of uh, Rene Bergeron, that maybe there's some last minute rewrites going on here, or maybe it's just going to be a cameo. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole like um, Shelby thing felt very COVID production to me, where it's like, yeah, there's like no other crew members around her. I'm sure it was very easy to green screen her in, but it felt like the kind of thing like, um, it would have been so cool to have that character walking around the bridge and talking to the camera while the other crew members are around her. Like that could have been a really interesting dynamic sequence. Yeah. Um. I, I wonder. I'll throw this out there because guess what? These characters, these writers are wacky enough to do anything. What if the season ends with uh, the Jem'Hadar coming to the rescue and a <laughs> Grand Moff Tarkin version of Rene Bergeron as Odo uh, 
uh, comes to the rescue uh, because they're not connected to this fleet. I would say anything's possible, although you, with this team, it really feels like go the most obvious you can think of. Like it, when it comes to like the kind of fan service they want to work with, that's what it, that's where they're going. Yeah. Yeah. Question for you. <laughs> What's the crew's plan? Like, they've got the Enterprise D, and now they're, <laughs> they're heading back to the fleet. Um, to do what exactly? Well, they're like, we're going to, uh, I guess. Uh, uh, okay, so, like, I would assume that there is going to be some sort of, like, power unit or something that is, ca- sure. like, creates the link that connects all the ships, and they're going to have to break that somehow. Sure. This sounds boring to me. Like, really yeah. uninteresting. Yeah. Do you think? Well, uh, I, yeah. Do Do you think we get a Girardi cameo? Like, she comes to the rescue, <laughs> and it turns into Alice Krieger fighting um, <laughs> Alice and Pill, like the um, what was it the parking lot fight? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, the the thing I will point out is like the formation of the fleet. It mimicked the formation uh, that we saw in season two finale of Picard when we mm-hmm. saw kind of the Borg fleet and the uh, uh, Starfleet fleet come in the end to push back against that transwarp conduit that that uh, Girardi was going to guard against. And that's the last we ever hear of it. I like it would make sense to bring in Girardi. This show is called Star Trek Picard. This show was launched with an entirely different cast. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of closing off season three, when you have those opportunities to work in like a Gerardi, if you are a true cohesive series, you would have that. Like Gerardi would play a role. I think this show hates its new characters. <laughs> <laughs> we okay. Like Soji was the one A main character when we started Star yeah. Trek Picard. The last we saw her, she is ready to get down with the Deltons in episode uh-huh. one of season two. And I'm just like, hey, high fives to her if that's her fate. Like <laughs> that that's awesome. But that's that's really saying something that that's how you dispatch with uh essentially like your your number two on the call sheet there. Do we get a like <laughs> dialogue free cameo from her in the final episode? Dude, it is cam. It's um, it's a uh, mo- musical montage with all those main characters played to the Russican flute uh, from Inner Light, <laughs> and it goes on for about like fifteen minutes with like, oh yes, oh those Elnor memories we had. Oh yeah, I remember Commodore O. Oh how wonderful that was. And it's just going to be something. That's how we leave off the uh, the series, and that's how we honor Dodge and Soji and Kore and, and all those other uh, Sutra and all those other. Uh, 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 Brionis characters. Why am I blanking on uh, uh, her name? Starts with an I. Cam. Isa Brionis. Uh, Isa Brionis. Yeah, yes, yeah. there we go. So, um, it yeah. does seem weird to like introduce Data back into the show and not have him meet the character that you know the show was built around when it started. No, no, no one's even brought her up to him. Like, hey, <laughs> by, by the way, you you have daughters. <laughs> you you, yeah. have, you 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 have a whole planet of daughters. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god, Cam! Like I just, I like I hate to see it, but Cam, like remember, like like this was meant to be the series that rehabilitates like Nemesis and and, and really makes us like happy where um, Picard and all these characters end up. But Picard's just been such this feckless 
character without any sort of agency throughout the run of the series that I just like has this has this like worsened the legacy of Jean-Luc versus where we left him off at the end of Nemesis oh big time to me it is like I never want to see this character ever again no which is not something you should say about a beloved iconic character Cam if we had a I don't know like a Jean-Luc Picard cameo in like I don't know, a little, whatever time travel shenanigans are involved in you know season two of discovery or whatever like that yeah. would have like blown me away i would have been so excited we would have gotten like a solid five minutes of him giving a speech or, or talking to burnham or something um mm-hmm. I, just, I have no interest like i i can't imagine uh any series in which an appearance from patrick stewart would make me excited and I really don't think Patrick Stewart, uh, he's going to come back to do a cameo on Strange New Worlds or what have you. The only thing that would potentially be fun for me would be if he really had fun with a like Lower Decks appearance. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be fun. I mean, they, they did that on Family Guy, that whole uh, cast yeah. there. So um, that would be cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. You're right. Um, the only other thing I have, I, I can hold out hope on is that when they were promoting this season, everybody in the cast, they're like, we want to do a movie. We hear Paramount has, you know, uh, 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 a slot open now on its mm-hmm. movie schedule. If this cast can get back together and do some sort of two-hour streaming movie that can somehow rehabilitate the last three seasons of Picard, I guess that's what I can hold out for, hope for at this point. Well, it's kind of that Indiana Jones thing, right? Where, like, when they did Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I thought it was a bad idea because Last Crusade ended on such a perfect, beautiful note. For those characters and then crystal skull ended up as we all know it ended up and now it's like i don't care about a dial of destiny happening because you can't you can only like hopefully improve on the ending you just had with crystal skull like that's kind of how i feel with this it's like it's so middle of the road mediocre that sure give me another TNG crew movie and hopefully that's a better grace note to go out on. Yeah, like I wouldn't be super pumped. All I could do is watch it and hope it did better than what we're getting here. I, Cam, are you excited about a Ray Skywalker movie? No, yeah, no, I'm not. I, exactly. thought, I was actually talking to my coworker about that the other day and I was just like, can you imagine a world like 10 years ago where they announced three Star Wars movies and it's not like pandemonium in the streets with excitement? And they announced three, you know, a week ago or whatever it was now. And it was like, oh, yeah, cool. Cam, nothing made me roll my eyes more than when they announced the Dave Filoni one. And it's like, yeah. we're going to be bringing together all the threads that have been building up throughout the Mandalorian and Boba Fett and uh, Silicaton. And I was just like, I don't care. I really don't mm-hmm. care. Uh, like, uh, based on what we were getting with Boba Fett and uh, season three of Mandalorian, uh, this is a complete write-off. I, I I don't care where it's all building up to at all whatsoever. Yeah. So maybe on that note, why don't we beam over and greet our guest, Scott Hardy. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about The Mandalorian. And now, beaming in with Borg-infected DNA, Scott Hardy. Scott, how are you doing? I'm very well. And rest assured, gents, we are all over the age of 25, so we are absolutely <laughs> fine. Uh, speak no for kidding. yourself. I mean, what? I look like I'm under 25. I guess that's what uh, you're really getting at. I mean, could I just point out a, a, an issue with that? Isn't Picard three years old? <laughs> yes. Yes. There you go. There you go. Well, are you saying that there might be plot holes in this season of Star Trek Picard? 
No. How could I say such a thing? I have a question. Now, his son, you know, Jack Crusher, was off the ship at the time. Would mm. he have been infected? Well, that's a very good question. What do you mean? Would he have been infected? Is he under 25? Are Like, what age are we assuming he is, or what age is he? Well, he's supposed to be 22 or 23. Um, yeah. The actor is clearly, I think, 47. I, you know? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So... Um, but what do you mean? Is he infected? Like we saw the uh, the Borg Queen sticking tubes into his uh, spine, at, uh, right? He caused the infection. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, more in terms of like what affected the entire crew of the Titan. Sorry. <laughs> what? Uh, I thought we were talking about Jack Crusher. Yes, I, I know. That's what I mean. Would he have been infected in the same way they were, where they were like all flipped there, where the switch was flipped and they all basically had their eyes turned black? Are you saying had he been uh, on the ship and that? He had not been the cause of it. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I imagine, maybe? Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess the yeah. answer is yes, since he's uh, supposed to be under 25. Yeah, yeah. okay. That Anyways, was just my question. We're spending way too much time on uh, Jack Crusher. <laughs> I want to hear Scott's thoughts on uh, his journey with Star Trek Picard before we dive into this week's episode. So, Scott, I, I know um, there's been some hills and valleys with you when it's come to this journey of Star Trek Picard, but uh, tell us how the uh, the first two seasons worked out for you. Well. Uh, I can't say I've enjoyed either of the first two seasons, so much so that I haven't seen the second half of season two, and I won't be watching it. And where was the cutoff for you? Do you remember what episode you made it to? Yeah, uh, Alison Pill took the stage and started belting out a song, <laughs> and I literally turned the episode off. I, I just turned it off. I was like, I'm done. You did not say encore. <laughs> Tell us specifically, like, what's not been working for you for the, uh, the preceding two seasons of Star Trek Picard? I mean, the first season, if I go all the way back there, it was just very grim storytelling, although that did continue into season two as well with the mother story. Uh, yeah, a lot of like mm -hmm. dark stuff that I didn't really want to see Picard going into, and also just really poorly written character arcs. And you especially get to like the relationship with Raffi and Seven that like is hot, cold, and everywhere else. I don't know what happened with them. It's such a scattershot production that... I, I, it doesn't feel anything like Star Trek, and I don't like any of these characters, and I don't recognize Picard. So I was just at some point thought, I've I've got nothing. I'm not invested in any of this. I'm just going to turn it off instead of being angry at the screen. Uh, and I just left, and that's why I left mid-season two. It's only hearing that the, the cast of TNG were coming back, and it was going to be more like a nostalgia trip for season three that I thought, okay, let me let me give it another try. So you're jumping into season three. You got the nostalgia trip. Um, you know, mm -hmm. how are the maybe maybe the first half of the season? Like, did it work wonders for you in the rehabilitation of uh, Star Trek Picard as a series, or was it uh, kind of like, eh, you know, kind of uh, par for the course at this point after kind of the storylines and the characterizations we're getting in the preceding two seasons? I, I gotta say, it was overall a breath of fresh air. There's not there's not there's not nit nitpicks there. I can certainly pick apart lots of things they've done. But compared to what we've had before, and even looking at sort of other contemporary Star Trek shows, this is some of the best they've put out. Uh, I think there's a lot down to Terry Metalis. I'm not sure it's necessarily down to the, the cast and crew of Next Generation all coming back. I think it's some fairly good writing. I mean, it, it is a lot. Uh, it's very reliant on like you know, member berries, as you would say, Tyler, or like just nostalgia. But I'm at this point. I think my uh, sort of expectations are so low that I'll just take that because at least it's better than what we were getting. Right. And, you know, how have you felt maybe about some of the other like shows, you know, because we've talked about Picard, like, 
do you also compare this more favorably than say strange new worlds or i mean discovery i mean certainly more than discovery but then i haven't watched season four of discovery i checked out of that too so uh maybe right. species 10 cc uh was uh, amazing i don't know i never watched it uh so i can't compare there sure and strange new worlds i think was an absolute blast for the first season i had a couple of problems with a few episodes as well but i mean if you're asking me what my favorite thing is that they've been putting out it's probably something like prodigy or lower decks but in terms of the live action i i'd say season three picard is on par with season one of strange new worlds Okay. So what specific elements, you know, are, are there specific characterizations, specific story elements that you can point to that's uh, been working for you here in Star Trek Picard Season 3? Uh, I would say it's more just how it's been put together. I feel like there are, I mean, there's still issues, of course, but I think like the characters match more what they're supposed to. Picard feels slightly more like Picard. You've got your TNG characters back. The nostalgia works for me. I'm happy to just rely on nostalgia to get through this show i i liked seeing that sort of mini movie in the first four episodes of like you know chasing vadic through the nebula and then five six seven eight were a mixed bag for me but there was bits i enjoyed seeing roe come back i think that was very well handled uh you know tuvok popping in the nostalgia the references have all been quite fun for someone who likes a lot of ship designs i've seen a lot of ships flying around i quite like seeing that sort of stuff and you know seeing them slowly bring the crew together in a fairly organic way and you could say it's a bit wonky at times but i think they've done a good job of you know naturally bringing the whole crew together and culminating in sort of this episode so among kind of these legacy crew members that we're so familiar with with uh, from the start uh, from star trek the next generation you know besides picard you know who do you think that they've really nailed to a degree whether it's kind of organic character growth or hey it's just great to see this person back on screen Oh, Marina, obviously, in that first scene, we saw her with the baby, right? <laughs> that That's what sold me on, on uh, this entire season. Bring that bottle of Jack Daniels with you. No, uh, <laughs> no I, I think LaForge, LeVar Burton, uh, Joy de LaForge, was probably the, I would say, the closest. Um, Riker maybe felt pretty good too. Really got into it when he was sort of captain of the Titan for a little while. But seeing like LeVar turn into this father figure but then snap back into what was what made him special uh, a couple of episodes later i think was very well done data's been fun to watch wharf is also a bit of a triumph he actually managed to make a raffi scene uh you know survivable i don't know how michael dawn did it but he did it <laughs> really which scene well <laughs> Uh, that's a good question, Tyler. That's a very good question. I can't point to one specifically. Maybe he just made them uh, less like uh, having your eye pulled out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I feel you. It's funny. Like I can't really think of many of their scenes other than just him saving her a couple times in a very violent fashion. But I can't think of any like back and forth where I was like comic gold. It's it's always like really good stuff with with Worf. He'll be like chamomile tea. I've been using it on my personal growth. And then yeah. Raffi will go around and go yum yum. Like, oh, there's that writing <laughs> again. And you just think, what are they doing to Michelle Hurd? Poor woman. Uh, yeah, I I I don't know what to do with Raffi. But yeah, I, Michael Dawn's been a, a revelation to watch as well. And, and I think again, Tyler, you mentioned natural character growth. I think Worf is a pretty natural extension of what we saw by the end of Deep Space Nine and partially nemesis i i don't mind a chilled out wharf like somebody who mm. 
is willing to it feels as if he's learned over the last 40 years that we've known this guy and he doesn't need to fire first it's like hey let's think a little and part of it i would i would assume coming from um what is clearly meant to be an indication that he was captain of the enterprise e mm. you know it's command experience that he was gaining as well as as he said just kind of uh learning to be a, a better version of himself and and thinking about troy the entire time yeah he'd been preparing that speech for a very long time it was originally meant for Riker, but uh, uh, Troy was actually standing in between them, so that's why it happened there. He actually was saying it to blo- to uh, Riker, but the blocking was just really wonky in that episode. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So Okay, so uh, we're now at the penultimate episode of season mm. three of Star Trek Picard. Perhaps the penultimate episode uh, that we'll ever get with this uh, crew ever, ever again, hmm. uh, at least altogether. But um, so Vox, uh, what do you make of Vox uh, as kind of a leading into the finale here, Scott? I mean, I'll add a little uh, sort of preface going into it. I was highly frustrated with how episode eight left off. Right. I was I was bugged to no end that they did the whole walk up to the door but don't open it. That sort of mystery box is like the cliffhanger thing. Wait for a week and find out. Whereas they could have just had that scene with walking in and finding the cube and then let everyone chew on that for a week. It would have been perfectly fine. And I think it would have done a little bit to build anticipation. That being said, once that scene was out of the way and they'd done the whole it's the Borg, I think it was actually really really well done what they did towards the end of the episode but it was a lot of like table setting to get there like it was great seeing mm. the enterprise f very ugly design but great to see it nonetheless it was great to see uh, to see admiral shelby uh rest in peace i guess <laughs> i don't know yeah it seems maybe <laughs> Those were a solid 27 seconds of screen time that we got with her. I don't know what she was saying. It seemed like she was uh, acting to a completely different show when she was on that set doing that sort of speech for Frontier Day. I can only assume it was the speech that Picard was meant to read, oh. but she was having to read it and like it was sort of didn't make sense for her to read it. And she didn't prepare. <laughs> yeah, they, they needed Picard's biological life signs, as uh, he had uh, told us. A couple episodes in order to give that speech. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's maybe that's sure, why. Maybe why that's not? why it makes some more sense of it. But overall, I really liked what they did with this. I, I, I love seeing them all work together. I thought the exposition scenes with sort of Data and Geordie figuring out the Changeling plot slash Borg plot were very well done. It tied back to a lot of sort of nuggets they dropped along the way. I think the build up to revealing it was the Borg mostly made sense it could have maybe made it a bit more overt earlier on but it didn't annoy me that it was the borg mm-hmm. uh i i think it was fairly well set up i just would have maybe liked a bit more meat in this episode where it just felt like it was set up for the very last episode which is a shame i'd rather episode nine been what 10 is going to be and 10 being sort of dealing with the aftermath and saying goodbye almost Okay, so we're talking about kind of the Borg reveal that uh, they've been building up to for way too long, in my opinion. But Mm -hmm. I I think a lot of folks, at least uh, through social media that I've been seeing right now, uh, they've been really digging kind of the nostalgia trip onto the Enterprise-D. What was your reaction with the reveal of the ship and then entering onto uh, the bridge? I was somewhat led into this. We all attended, well, we all were at the Las Vegas convention, and, and I think, Tyler, you attended the panel where a little bit of this was maybe slipped. Uh, that you spoke about on this show. Yeah, I got to... There, 
behind the scenes kind of art fella there was uh, talking about his experience over the last like 40 years working in various Star Trek uh, properties. And he did reveal a behind the scenes photo of the uh, bridge underneath construction, which was uh, pretty cool for, I think, the, uh, the 14 people at his panel. Mm. Uh, so I was delighted to be among those uh, dozen or so that got to see it early. Yeah, so I had a feeling when they sort of dropped that, you know, what, what about Hangar 12 early on? Uh, you know, I, I had a feeling I knew what was in there, but as soon as I saw the ship and the lights started hitting it, I got to say, it's meant to trigger nostalgia. It's meant to get you with a wave of emotion, and it did. I, I, I think when I heard Major Roddenberry's voice uh, declare at Captain Picard's in command of the ship, I, I got a little weepy. I have to say, it, it, it triggered an emotion in me, and it, and it worked. It was great seeing those people in a completely built set of the original Enterprise D. It wasn't like it was CG'd in like the Jurati Borg Queen's face. It was mm. a proper set that they built. It felt practical. It was they were there on my bridge. That was my ship, and they're there. It, it, it worked. Could you imagine if it was a CG set? Like, I never even oh. considered that. Like, can you imagine yet they'd green screen them in because of, I don't know, COVID issues or something like that? Like, how <laughs> underwhelming would that have been? The the music sweeps in, you even keep the major uh, Runberry voice, and they're just like standing in front of a kind of a flickering green screen. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, God. No one could like move at all. They all just stay really still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'd be the best when Picard goes and runs his hand across the plate on the wall, and it's just like a flat surface. <laughs> It's actually just like a matte painting, and he cuts into it. <laughs> uh, okay, so he's got. Um, what's the plan? What's the Enterprise D bridge uh, crew off to do now? I, I, if you're asking me that question, I don't have your answer. I, I don't know okay. why they. Why, I don't know why they're going to go fly into the fleet with this very old ship <laughs> and with this very old crew. A ship that's meant to be like staffed by over a thousand people. Uh, it is now staffed by seven. We'll see how that goes. But I, I reckon there'll be some hijinks that will get them there in the end. I mean, to be fair, the Enterprise-D took on the Borg in the best of both worlds by itself and won the day. 40 ships all got knocked down, mm -hmm. and they stood up and, and won the day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was it delightful knowing that uh, the saucer section wasn't just left there on Viridian 3 for the last uh, couple decades? Well, they did, a, they did a good cleanup job on Viridian 3 because they took Kirk's body as well. They, did, they really scrubbed that place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They also took Guinan's carousel. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, you know, uh, that, that's my fan fiction there. Uh, yeah, I put on memory beta. But they left that kid there. It's like, Papa, can I open the presents, Papa? <laughs> no, that kid, he was a changeling. He, oh, yeah. That was the same actor. Yeah, it yeah. was. <laughs> so yeah, they, yeah. they murdered him. <laughs> Worf executed that child. Um, speaking of murder, I had a question for you guys because I know you record your thoughts earlier on, and I, and we do this afterwards. Um, no, yeah. what are you talking about? This is all uh, in real time. <laughs> oh, Scott. sorry, this is this is not edited together at all. You can edit this out too if you'd like. <laughs> I had a question for you. Did either of you bump at the fact that the USS Excelsior was blown out the sky? Uh, knowing that Elnor is on it, and yep, <laughs> he's gone. He's dead. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, Eleanor's dead. Yeah, okay. So yeah, I I took note of that, and I was like, uh huh. I it just to me, I I feel like the way that violence is depicted in this Kurtzman era is it's just so capricious, mm. and I it's I I've had to become numb to it yep. to a certain degree. And the problem with that is like then I'm less invested in what's going on in this universe, you know. And I wish the Shaw death 
did a little bit more for me. Mm -hmm. I, I think he's the best character that they've created, like new character that they've created in this Star Trek Picard universe. For sure. And it just seemed to be a very unceremonious death. You know, he he's shot twice in the chest, or maybe it was only once. And I don't know. I just hope that, uh, I don't know, there, there's some way for him to, to survive or like, who knows? But um, I, I think it'd be a bummer if this is the last we see of Shaw. The question is... Twin brother? Well, yeah. Uh, the question is, does Shelby survive getting shot twice and Shaw dies after getting shot once? That's the... Uh... I, uh, I, I hope they're both alive, but that's just it. Here's the problem. Like, I want deaths to be meaningful, and mm. I don't like it when you just bring characters back. But the thing is, is when you have, like, these very capricious deaths in, in the way that they're depicted here, like, I, I'm sorry, but when he reaches out and says, it's now your ship, seven seven of nine <laughs> i'm like it just it, it's too cheesy where i think they were trying to tug at the heartstrings there well it's not that they didn't build to that though that was a setup and payoff but there's a difference between like um say conception and execution and i don't think it was very uh, it was executed very well i mean i wouldn't have killed him but if that if i had the choice of course but i uh, you could say like oh, you know keep him around and do more with him but sometimes it is also interesting just to to get rid of those characters and they fulfill their arc and you'll leave wanting more like there's a lot of characters in in tv history let alone star trek history that we got a small glimpse at and didn't get any more but maybe we had the perfect amount well i also say this I, th I think they did soften shaw's character as the season progressed mm -hmm. as well and yeah. i thought that mm -hmm. the uh the spicier uh more cutting Shaw was a little bit more interesting than the softened up version who is fawning all over Jordy LaForge at one point. You, you did at least get like Shaw uh, sighing in exasperation when Picard called the British saying we have to go to Earth. He's like, Ugh, why? Sure. <laughs> why? Yeah, I mean, to me, Shaw, that's a character just screaming out for a spinoff. Mm -hmm. And I think it would have been so much more interesting. And I don't think they were going to do it, but to kill off an actual legacy character because I think it would just have a more profound impact than a character whose setup is unlikable at the start, who can have that kind of redemption throughout the season, and then die. I just think, like, it feels a little too set up for me. I, I think it would have been a little more bold to do something riskier. Perhaps so. I, I think uh, I, I can see the thought processes of they don't think there's going to be any more after this. We probably should tidy up. And then if something does happen, they can... They can do some, you know, use the magic flute from season one of Picard and bring everyone back to life. Get out of my head. <laughs> I don't want that ocarina of magic back. Yeah. No. Um, okay. Well, uh, like I did like the fact that we had a, a shout out to the USS Pulaski, which mm. I want to mm, know yeah. how she got a ship named after herself at this point. Um, I would have preferred to just see Diane Muldor like return you know like remember that doctor friend from the stargazer that picard had uh come visit him at the vineyard in, in season one mm -hmm. like why not pulaski in that situation that would have been kind of fun it would have been fun i have to imagine they did ask her and she just said like i'm guys i'm like 80 odd i don't want to do it anymore patrick stewart says i'm pushing 90 come on <laughs> well i know like dana Maldor was booked for Vegas convention a couple times and like had to cancel for it sound like health reasons mm -hmm. so I don't know if she was necessarily um, able to do this because she has been radio silence for a few years now yeah um another person 
you know, Cam and I wished we could have seen at some point this season. But uh, what do you think about the lack of Sela? Is, is it best left that thread just left alone, or do you think that there could have been an opportunity to have maybe Sela could have been the Vatic character throughout? See, I would have done it the other way around if I could change things. I think Sela would have been your overall baddie. Mm, and right. she's the big bad, maybe gets revealed in episode eight. And you know, Denise Crosby gets a couple of episodes of mustache twirling villain Romulan taking revenge for the fall of Romulus and da 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 da. I think that would be more intriguing than going back to the Borg well, which they've gone to every season of Picard, despite I know. Picard saying that it's, there's not, this is not the reunion show. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't think they've done the Borg very effectively in each of these seasons though I I, I just I haven't found them interesting and it, it's been a while since I found the Borg interesting probably since uh not since Dark Frontier in Star Trek Voyager mm. the sexy the sexy episode yeah I, I know why you like that one that's uh <laughs> front what was it dark dark seduction week dark seduction week that was it yeah 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 to me, it's like you had that setup at the end of season one, Picard, with the Romulans and you know Commodore O flying off, basically swearing revenge. There was a setup to have Sela behind something like this and make it part of a grander plan that kind of bookends the two Picard seasons. And I guess they were just like, nah. I I, I imagine it was probably on the table at some point, but when they had that change of showrunner into season two and then again into season three plans change you look at what happened with the the sequels to the star wars films they probably had a plan jj had something in mind when he started force awakens but by the time nine came around i don't think he did i really don't think he did i think he tried to do seven and uh, so eight and nine within episode nine i think that's why it's so convoluted and three hours long yeah i mean he was setting things up and i know that there was an original script for force awakens and uh pardon folks for the star wars minute but J.J. Uh, Abrams, when he signed on, completely turfed the original script, which was, uh, I believe, written by the one of the writers of Toy Story 3, and started from scratch, and was clearly setting things up that just Ryan Johnson had no interest in. Um, I don't know if that was the case with Picard. I, I, I just am more baffled at going so Borg Queen heavy in Season 2, mm. and then turning around and making her the adversary in Season 3. It's not yeah. that you can't do those things i'm just more confused that they would do it so close together it feels so weird and getting like the og as well like getting Krieger back well we we have her voice i doubt that next week we'll see alice Krieger in the flesh Mm. and makeup you know Mm. i we got the voice from her in lower decks as well i suspect that uh, vox of borg will be the face of the borg uh, throughout the entire finale well i did have a question i was going to throw to you guys that you may have spoken about this before but is ed spillers putting on like borg makeup or are they just going to do that silly effect they use now in picard where they just have the black veins and the black eyes i i want him you know cam i've been making fun of you for your locutus speculation uh for the last couple episodes i want him to look as much like locutus as possible when he appears on screen next me too i think that's more fun and also like the one thing in my back in the back of my head when I was like predicting Lacutus as being a possibility was that I was like wondering, will they be able to convince eighty-three-year-old Patrick Stewart <laughs> to get into some sort of Borg makeup? You know, like he's not gonna put on the full suit, but like, are they gonna be able to make this happen? But now they have, you know, a fifty-seven-year-old uh, actor playing a twenty-year-old. Mm-hmm. So like <laughs> maybe that actor is willing to and you know 
his pay grade is a little different than Patrick Stewart's, so they can actually get him into a full Borg suit. So I would say go for it if you can, because it's so much more effective than this weird, like, veiny face thing they did this season and the previous season. It, it looks like Instagram filters or something. Yeah. Sure. Part of the yeah. magic of seeing... Patrick Stewart as Locutus was seeing that physical transformation when he comes out as a Borg drone. You you are like mm. shocked that the guy you've been watching for three years at this point has physically changed. So having Picard face his own son turned into physically becoming a Borg could actually be a very powerful moment if they do it well. That's a good point. I don't think it means anywhere near as much. If he shows up and he looks like this new model of Borg we've seen in season two and this season, like I just think it would, you'd lose the actual kind of impact of this confrontation between the two. Well, here's my prediction. We'll have um, one Vox of Borg doing telepathy ninja with some random uh, crew member that we've never seen before versus Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Who knew the Borg could do that, huh? Cam, they've been setting it up this entire time. Come on, man. It's so obvious. It, or Completely organic. Mind control martial arts. Why weren't the board doing this like long ago? It would have like solved them so many problems when they had like, uh, you know, Starfleet people wandering around their cubes. Okay, guys, when we're at the uh, Las Vegas convention in August, mm. um, uh, Scott, you're going to do ninja telepathy and then Cam and I will be standing about six feet away, like uh, mimicking all your moves uh, on display for people uh, in kind of the common areas. <laughs> It'll just be a lot of forward and backwards rolls. So just get practicing now. <laughs> Cartwheels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, okay. So Scott, how confident are you that maybe they could stick the landing going into the finale at this point? I went into this season with moderately low expectations. I've spoken to you guys about this off air. Add, Ad infinitum, like a, a, a hell of a lot. So I haven't got high expectations of anything. I think what I've got so far, I've been moderately impressed with. I think we're going to get a very fan service finale. I think there's going to be a lot of wacky things happening and people popping up. I think, we're, I think they're going to spend a lot of money on next week's episode. Is it going to be a successful conclusion? Is it going to satisfy me as much as all good things? No. Is it going to satisfy me more than Nemesis? Maybe. That's fair. Yeah. And it's, you know, with the case with like the TNG crew, they had a perfect ending, mm -hmm. which was all good things, but that was never going to be their ending because of the movies. And once you started rolling into that movie franchise, well, you just never got as satisfying an ending with any of the four really to tie off that series. So just give us something. Give us like an ending where we go, I feel good about this. I mean, I know you guys don't like to do into sort of theory crafting of what's going to happen, but... And I'm not asking that you do it, but have you got an idea in your heads of what you'd like this last episode to sort of culminate with? Only that I have wondered if you're going to have like a grand assembly of characters in a shot. Kind of like akin to, say, like the funeral moment at the end of Avengers Endgame. Mm -hmm. But that's really about it. Who's the funeral for, Cam? Oh. <laughs> Shaw. Elnor. Okay, yes. Oh, Elnor. Elnor too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Throw a narc. He he somehow dies. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, all I would like really is like 30 solid minutes of these characters talking to each other, getting some sort of resolution, kind of tying up some loose threads, but in a way in, in which the conflict and the drama isn't coming from pew, 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 but it, it's coming from like organic conflict within characters. 
I, and the thing is that they failed here is, you know, Beverly ghosted her closest friends for 20 years. Uh, she and Deanna, they seem to be a-okay as of now. And I think that is so phony. I think that's bad writing. I think what you do is that's where kind of organic conflict comes in from real drama. The problem is TNG was never designed to do that. It was not about like internal conflict with characters going against each other. And we saw that with uh, Picard mm. and Riker earlier this season, and it felt really inorganic to see Riker you know, like snap at Picard the way that they, the way that he did. And I know they explain it, you know, like he's been feeling empty um, for many years following the, the death of his son. And I guess I know that the writers have justified it, but it didn't feel right. It didn't track for me. And I, I think that's kind of a problem that they are, you know, just too guilty of, you know, throughout the writing of this entire series. I feel like they, they had to do a lot of big narrative jumps to get to where they are now. And I feel like if they'd spent time dwelling on the actual repercussions of some of the choices, like, you know, Riker losing his stuff against Picard, like that, that's actually a big betrayal of trust. Shouting him in front of the crew, that's a big thing. And also Beverly ghosting the whole crew. That, that's, that's, a, that, I mean, between human beings, that would take a lot of time to resolve. But we have to get to this, you know, episode nine where they all get on the Enterprise D. We have to do things to get there. And I think that we sacrifice that to give the nostalgia, to give Terry Metalis his fan film he's always wanted to do with the uh, the main actors from TNG. And hey, he's doing it. Yeah, and, you know, it's like if you're going to take radical swings with the characters, which they did with having, you know, Crusher on the run, uh, gunning down adversaries, with having Data being reborn, it's like these are big happenings for these characters, but the show doesn't have time to kind of deal with that. And it's like they kind of made the decision to take these wild swings, but they weren't doing it in a venue that supported exploring it. It's just... You got to kind of just take it, I guess, at face value. And I think I'd sooner they had taken those swings and tried it than mm. played it very safe for the season and just done nostalgia beats the whole way. Because like you say, the stuff with like Crusher at the start is, is interesting seeing her that she's done something different. She's not ended up as the captain on the USS Pasteur. Right. Yeah. Or like married to Jean-Luc or whatever, you know, that fans had wanted to see for forever. Okay, well... Overall, Scott, you're you're far more satisfied with season three than you are with the preceding two seasons. I, I would say <laughs> I am as well. Cam, I don't want to speak on your behalf, but uh, I'm guessing. I mean, it's yes. hard not to be happier with season three. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah. look, I just I don't want whammy kablammy for sixty mm. minutes straight in the next episode. I'm, I, but I'm fearful we're going to get it for at least forty minutes straight. I don't want that. I, that's not why I'm watching Star Trek. That's not what brought me into Star Trek. I, I. I, I was an eight-year-old who was fascinated by people talking to each other and using their brains to solve problems, <laughs> you know. Um, so being an adult watching, like, starship battles and phaser fights nonstop, I think I would have loved this as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, as an adult, I, I'm just bored uh, a lot of the time, though. I think if this episode does, like, 20 minutes of, you know, wham-bam-shooty, as you say, and then has 20 to 25 minutes of saying goodbye, because I think this is the end then I'm okay with it. But I as you, I do agree, though, I do not want 90% of this next week's episode to be, you know, let's see the Enterprise D beauty shots firing torpedoes at things. Right. All right. Well, Scott, as always, 
It's a pleasure to welcome you onto Subspace Transmissions, and I guess uh, we'll catch up again uh, in Vegas uh, this coming August for the big Las Vegas Star Trek convention. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to have some fun. I'm, it's the first year going that I'm officially married, so uh, yeah, hands off, boys. <laughs> and Scott, where can people you know, find more of you online? Well, I don't use my social media personally anymore. It's mostly through uh, Cam and I's podcast, Spy Hards podcast. So you can find me at Spy Hards, basically Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even TikTok sometimes, uh, Spy Hards podcast. Okay. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you. Okay, so that was a uh, rather interesting conversation with Scott. Always good to catch up with him. Um, yeah, so uh, Cam, uh, I guess this is the strongest episode so far, at least for me, uh, of Mando Season 3. But a lot of it was... Um, I keep thinking of myself this again and again. The more I learn about the Mandalorians, the more I just don't find them interesting at all. Cam, I love me some Giancarlo Esposito. Um and like we're having fun with Moff Gideon, but now he's wearing like the Darth Vader wannabe <laughs> suit with a rocket pack on it. I'm like, this is the goofiest stuff. Yeah. It's so goofy. And at a certain point, I'm just watching like blasters nonstop. And I'm just getting like, kind of like, okay, I get it. It's a slaughter. Um, I'm just like, also, I don't, I don't think the, uh, the mechanics of that sailboat on the um, surface, <laughs> like how did it not get destroyed before this episode by some sort of like worm? Like, I don't know. You know, I, I just like, I'm kind of, uh, I, I think this is the strongest episode, at least personally, but I, I'm kind of checked out on the season. So it's not really doing that much for me. Yeah. I was kind of in the same boat. Like this was, I agree. The best episode of the season. Um, it was kind of like derivative at this point to have the giant creature jump out and like topple the boat. I'm like, didn't we just see a flying bird creature on this season? Oh, wait. Didn't we also see like a giant alligator creature coming out of the water near the cave where the Mandalorians are living? They keep going to these giant creature things. Or the sea serpents that sucked in uh, Dinjarin. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, that's a trope of Star Wars, but like you don't do it three times in a season. That's a little, that's a little bit much. But this... The it's the kind of the problem with the Jedi, which when you have the way the Jedi are set up in the original trilogy, there's a very like simple sophistication to it. They get across what the essence of the Jedi is, just enough so that you are invested in kind of the concept of it and what it means to Luke Skywalker and Obi Wan and what have you. Then when you delve a little further into the Jedi, when you do those prequel movies and whatever else, it starts to just seem silly and, and like, like creepy. And creepy and weird, yeah, and it just doesn't hold up. I feel the same way with, like, the Mandalorian stuff. It's like, the whole concept of the Mandalorians, you know, and this goes back to the, my fan fiction days, before there was actual Mandalorians on screen. It was always the idea that they were these mythical warriors that always wore their, you know, their armor and were, like, an unstoppable fighting force, which was, like, enough to hang on to. And I think, like, the first couple seasons of the show did a good job setting that up and then just taking us on adventures with this character. But spending this whole season about the mythology, you kind of realize how empty the mythology is in the first place. And so you're kind of just stretching things out, creating conflicts. You know, we had an extended fight between two different factions of Mandalorians. And I'm like, yeah, okay. But like, neither one of them has like an interesting philosophy. It's like, we wear helmets and we don't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's what it comes yes. down to. I'm just like, I, I don't care. Like, good for you, you know? 
And it's like, uh, you know, we joke, but like the ones who don't wear helmets are very attractive. And we don't know what's <laughs> under the ones that wear that insist, well, insist on wearing helmets. Pedro Pascal is a good looking chap, though. It's true. He is. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Although he was kind of adopted into the Mandalorian. So that one's maybe a little bit of a <laughs> asterisk next to it. And, and Grogu, uh, not necessarily like he's cute, but he's not yeah. hot. Or, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, and actually, the Grogu element was actually one of the things I was complimenting earlier, which is like you had that setup that we got from like episode one of the season of the Taika Waititi um, assassin um, droid being set up. And I was rolling my eyes about the Disney death and that they're just going to bring this, you know, very popular character. I have the uh, Christmas ornament of this character. I got it for uh, Christmas two, two years ago. So like there's a merchandise built around that character. People love it. The way they built, they brought it back, though, is like this kind of weaponized suit for Grogu to ride around in. It takes that concept, gives you the fun of kind of the Taika Waititi voice saying yes and no. But it's like taking a different angle on it. It's doing something a little different where it's not just giving you fan service. It's at least like kind of twisting it, which I something I wish Star Trek would do more of. No, they they did that way <laughs> before. Uh, this is their version of Captain Pike in the wheelchair. No, oh, that's... Uh... Ding, ding. <laughs> True. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> True. They had yeah. fun with it, though, where it's just like yeah, yeah, the Mandalorian yeah. saying, like, this is not working for me. <laughs> and like, yeah, I, I thought it was like a fun element. Like, that's the thing. This episode had fun in it. It had some really well-directed action. Um, I didn't mind the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff going on that's basically just setting up the return of the Emperor. Um, you also, in this episode, had a lot of mentions about Grand Admiral Thrawn which is going to tie into that movie you were referencing earlier in the show. Uh, so I feel like we're just kind of in the building blocks of that movie at this point, but it was at least zippy enough that I didn't care. But don't you get frustrated where you feel as if something you're watching is just meant to be building up to something else? Just yes. planting seeds and setting things off. I just like... It's hard for me to feel as if I'm... I'm Nothing but just being used as a viewer. Well, it's hard to feel excited. And I was actually talking earlier today with, uh, well, Scott Hardy, who was just on the show, but about like how, you know, you look at like the big, and this is in the film world, less so than TV, but like you look at like the big hits the last while and you've got Avatar 2, Top Gun Maverick, and more recently, Super Mario Brothers. Known properties, of course. But there's like a huge gap between content. You know, Mario Brothers, there's like a crappy movie from 93. Avatar's been like 15, 16 years. Maverick, you know, between the Top Guns is like 30-something years. It's like people like to have anticipation and get really excited and invested. It's hard to get people super invested when you just bombard them with constant setups for things that are going to arrive in like, I don't know, six months or something. I know. So, um, here's a question that I have no doubt has been asked before by Star Wars fans, and I'm not trying to be a dog here, but it only <laughs> occurred to me when I was watching this episode, but, like, the, uh, Mandalorians that wear helmets, like, they must keep those helmets on when, like, they're having sex, right? Or is that, like, are you allowed to take oh. your helmets off when you're having sex? I think you have to keep them on. That sounds like <laughs> the logistics <laughs> of that, <laughs> like... <laughs> It just, it, it seems very impractical. Unless, well, I don't know. Clang, 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 clang. Like, I mean, I given the way that Lucas uh, wrote the Jedi with the prequels, like that was a very chaste <laughs> organization. So with the Mandalorians, it wouldn't surprise me if like you are going to take a mate 
in the Mandalorian society, you go through some sort of like uh, probably very silly ceremony that then promises that you can remove your helmets with one another in intimate situations. Okay. Good to know. When I start my helmet cult. <laughs> Why aren't I writing this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't this being shared in a kid's show? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, next week we wrap up Mandalorian. I think they can probably deliver at least a finale that doesn't feel as rushed as what seems to be the Picard two-part finale. Sure. I, I mean, Cam, I'm, so, I'm just checked out on both these shows at this point where it's like all I can say is like, okay, sure. Yeah. You know, I like, I hope they surprise me. I hope they subvert my expectation. That's all, that's all I can really wish for at this point. I kind of have this like running kind of back and forth with myself of each week you know i watch the two episodes on uh when or on thursdays before we record and i'm basically like well that one was better this week than the other one and then it kind of like you know back and forth rotates sure so like no win scenario week i'm like oh picard was better this week and uh it just kind of tells you like the kind of the level of quality i regard them both at at this point they're kind of like yeah yeah well which one's better this week well i don't know i, I mean i feel myself frustrated more with star trek because i'm more invested Mm-hmm. in star trek though and also i like i have a lot more i find week to week i have a lot more to say about picard than i do yeah. mandalorian and, and it's not just because we're doing a star trek podcast i just i just think that there's more to dissect and perhaps critique uh in the case of this particular season on star trek picard you might not have said that though if it was discovery versus mandalorian okay <laughs> <laughs> at least we're doing like weekly yeah like uh recaps or, or uh, discussions about Mando, whereas we could not even bring ourselves to do that uh, in season four of Discovery. I am curious, you know, a, a, as burnt as we feel about Discovery at this point, I am curious about, uh, like, you're going to get a 10 episode season. I think Discovery yeah. desperately needs a shorter season. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to introduce a much more whimsical sort of tone to it. Uh, they tried that in season two. Uh, didn't last for very long. Um, I think they're going to aim for that a little, or at least go a little harder in that direction, but maybe not. Could be wrong. And they're ultimately trying to wrap up the C- series as a whole. But the thing is, they didn't go into the season knowing it was going to be their last one. And so now they're getting uh, additional money from Paramount to do some reshoots and kind of wrap things up. But it's going to be a weird season to watch, I think, no matter what. It's always very encouraging when a show is reaching its final season and saying, you know, we should probably change our tone. <laughs> <laughs> We've been getting it wrong this entire time. Yeah, yeah I think we figured this one out now. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like if, uh, you know what, uh, season six of The Sopranos, I think we should go with the laugh track and yeah. live studio audience. Yeah, why, why isn't this show a musical? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash pod and tell us why we are completely wrong about Star Trek Picard. <laughs> um, you can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V, as in vines, vines, lots of vines, Smith. No Vox, no. Uh, I thought about it, but <laughs> no I've used Viridian like three. Yeah, I thought I've used Vox Sola a few times, and I was like, this episode just obsessed over vines so much that I was like, <laughs> I gotta go there. Okay, well, Cam, you can find me at Reportin. That's R E P P is in Pulaski. Shoutouts, remarkably, wow, O R T O N. 
Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. So many blossoms. Thousands of flowers. <laughs> <laughs>